Welcome to the podcast, guys. Uh, strength Talking Shop. Uh, my guest this week is Ryan Wood. Uh, he's a strength and conditioning coach for SAPT in Fairfax, Virginia. He also works at the Fairfax County uh, Public Schools where he teaches a personal fitness class and is also the head strength and conditioning coach for the, for the high school. Um, this is a guy that's got a, a lot of experience, a really great guest, uh, gives us some insight on what he's doing, how he deals with his high school athletes, and how he trains, you know, maybe his you know older clients at SAPT, uh, his powerlifting experience and everything. So I think this is going to be a really great um, episode for everybody to kind of sit down, take some notes, uh, learn and listen. Ryan's a wonderful guest, so make sure to reach out to him. Uh, reach out to all of our old guests of the podcast. Um, you know, there's some great episodes back there, guys, that are backlogged, and we got great guests coming up. I want to thank every single person that listens to this podcast, especially right now with everything that's going on with the virus. Um, you know, it's wild times out there right now. So I just pray for you and your loved ones. Um, my routine's messed up. I'm sure everybody's routine's messed up. But, you know, this is a time that we can, you know, come together and uh, really just just grow. Um, and, you know, it's a time of uncertainty, like I said. And, you know, I just pray for your well-being of your family members and yourself. And, you know, we're going to get through this all together. Um, so, Again, rate, review, share the podcast wherever you can. Again, we're available on all platforms. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Thank you to uh, Coach Wood, Ryan Wood, for coming on the podcast. Um, And always stay strong. Hey, guys. uh, Strength Talking Shop podcast. Uh, My guest this week, uh, really excited for everybody to to hear this, is Ryan Wood. Um, He is the head strength coach at Marshall High School, which is in uh, Fairfax, Virginia. He's also a strength coach at SAPT. Um, he also has a couple powerlifting teams. Uh, one's at Marshall High School, and one is at uh, SAPT as well. Uh, Ryan, how are you this morning, brother? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, glad to have you on the podcast here. Uh, why don't you go ahead and I give appreciate it. it. Thank you. Yeah, man. Let's give the listeners a little bit about your background, um, where you started, and, you know, strength and conditioning, the fitness and wellness, and, you know, where you're at now, what you're doing now. Um, so I've been, this is going into my, or I'm in my 11th year of uh, being a strength conditioning coach. It has been a, uh, a weird and wild ride so far. It definitely wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be uh, just being a you know regular college strength coach when I first got into it. Um, I went to George Mason University and I got my undergrad in um, health and PE. And when I got to, so for help and PE, you have to do, you know, observations with teachers and, um, you know, your later courses, you're doing a bunch of observation work. And then your last semester, you do your student teaching. So if you're an exercise science major or anything like that, generally your last semester is um, internship. Well, I don't, I don't, this is my internship with student teaching. So I did the uh, first eight weeks with elementary school. And that is the second week or second eight weeks at uh, at high school, and I absolutely hated it. Um, I really wanted nothing to do with PE at the end of it. I didn't think it was something valuable. I didn't think it was something that worked. I thought it was. Um, I just didn't think. Like I said, I just didn't think it really worked. And while I was at Mason. Um, you know, I was still lifting and everything, and I lifted in the in the, the what was called the field house, which is where all the athletes would lift. And um, you're not allowed to lift there anymore with the athletes, but back then you were. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would always kind of watch the strength and conditioning coaches take uh, athletes through workouts, and uh, I just was got very interested because I didn't really know that was a job. And <clears throat> by the time I got done with my um, undergrad, I just really didn't have any idea what I wanted to do because um, I didn't want to be a PE teacher. So I started giving strength and conditioning a little more thought. So one day, for whatever reason, um, I went into the coach's office, and at the time, and still, um, a guy named Andy Handeron is the uh, head strength coach at George Mason University. And at the time, um, a guy named uh, Gabriel Mispinski, Gabe Mispinski, was one of the other strength coaches there. So I just got done with the lift, and I was just an absolute idiot. You know, I was 22 years old, just had no idea um, <laughs> that, about anything going on, and I was wearing, you know, just wearing a cutoff shirt that was down to my waist.
Wasp, and I was wearing big Beats headphones, or big, I don't even know if they are Beats, but big headphones. I just looked like an absolute idiot. And I uh, walked into the office and I said, do you guys have any need for an internship? I mean, I was sweating. I was, I don't even, I don't know what was going through my mind. <laughs> and Handy kind of, <laughs> and Handy, you know, rightfully so, kind of looked me up and down and goes, I don't have any use for interns. And at that point, they had not had any interns. Well, Gabe, un- unbeknownst to me, um, well, Handy said, maybe Gabe uh, has use for you. So Gabe said, come in <clears throat> next week for an interview. Well, unbeknownst to me, Gabe had worked at, he, he did his GA position at Pitt underneath Buddy Morris, and I'm pretty sure James Smith was there as well. So I didn't even know kind of what I was getting into. Um, I just kind of fell into it. So then the next week I did my interview. Interview went terribly because I put a bunch of stuff on my resume that <laughs> I shouldn't have, um, and I got called out on it. But they gave me a chance, and I mean, I kind of immediately fell in love with, with strength conditioning. And so I did that for um, a little over a year, and while I was there, Gabe ended up uh, leaving, and Handy, at that point, wanted to keep me on. So I was the first intern that they had had, and then Sarah Walls, who is the head strength coach for the, the Mystics right now and an assistant strength coach for the Wizards right now, she also owns SAPT, she basically took um, Gabe's job. So I started working under her, um, and then also with, with Handy as well. And that's kind of how I, you know, it's been about 10 years since I've known Sarah. And then a couple months into knowing Sarah, she offered me a, um, a position at SABT. So also around this time, um, they kind of made a makeshift uh, assistant strength coach position. So I wasn't really any longer an intern. I was, you know, basically a coach. I had tennis was one of my teams. Rowing was one of my teams. Um, and then I kind of assisted uh, everyone else. And, um, so yeah, so I, then I started working at, at SAPT. So that was kind of my first, um, introduction to the private sector. So at the private, at SAPT, we literally had everyone. I mean, we had, um, really high level athletes. We had high school athletes, college athletes that were in between seasons or off for the summer. We had older clients, like people in their, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s. We had kids that were eight, nine, 10 years old. So I just kind of got every piece of the spectrum between Mason and, uh, and, uh, SABT. And then also at the same time, I had started going to grad school at Mason. And, um, so I did that. And then I decided I didn't want to go to grad school anymore. I didn't really like the program. I didn't like what I was getting out of it. So I made my decision that I was going to leave. Um, so then I pretty much had to leave Mason as well, but Sarah offered me a full-time job at SABT. So I worked there for, I think a year or two years and then really it kind of hit me in the face um what the problem was with or what i felt the problem was with not only pe but sports and physical preparation and strength conditioning and it was really the, the idea that uh people didn't know how to move well so you know when i was in college or maybe right when i got done i read uh Dan John and Pavel Easy Strength. And that was kind of one of my favorite, I mean, it's still one of my favorite books ever um, on strength conditioning. One of the things that um, Dan John lays out and Pavel lays out are the, these fundamental movement skills that all human beings, athletes, non-athletes, should be able to uh, exhibit and be proficient at. So he talks about squatting, hinging, jumping, crawling, falling, uh, carrying, pushing, pulling. Um, and then I always talk about breathing and bracing um, and running and things like that. And I just started to notice that across the board, I mean, whether they were D1 athletes or professional athletes or, or people in their 70s or teenagers or whatever it was, they just didn't possess these underlying movement qualities. And I think there was two reasons behind that. I think one of them is our PE system as a whole, and I'm still technically a PE teacher. I work still as a PE teacher. Um, I think it's not doing its job. Um, I think we just don't people in charge don't really understand like what goes into uh, forming a functional human being who knows how to move well. And then on top of that, I think early sports specialization is a huge problem. Um, I started to notice that as well. These kids were not athletic because they were just playing the same sport all year round. Um, so at that point, I decided that I was going to leave SABT and try and get back into uh, teaching because I thought like I can make a difference. Like These PE teachers don't know this stuff. And the only reason I know this stuff is because I worked under 
great people doing strength conditioning. So I got back into um, PE, and that was kind of a weird thing, too, because I thought it was going to be very easy to, te- to get into teaching the class that I teach now. So this class that I teach now is called Personal Fitness, so it's essentially a elective course um, for kids who are interested in, in health and wellness and strength conditioning and things like that, um, where they're, you know, they're doing exercise programs in the weight room, doing conditioning programs out in the field, things like that. So I thought it was going to be easy based on my experience to get that, but it wasn't. So I had, ended up having to teach as regular PE for two years. I taught at two different schools, um, and I also did strength conditioning at those schools. So the first two schools I worked at, I taught PE during the day, and then after school I would do the strength conditioning for all the teams. And it was a blast. You know, I was I had just started dating, uh, you know, my now wife at the time, so I would just be at school all day long. You know, I would train in the morning, um, have teams after school. I would leave school till eight o'clock, and it was a blast. I loved every second of it. Um, and then my third year teaching, I got offered a job at Marshall High School, which is where I've been for uh, six or seven years now, teaching personal fitness, which is what I wanted to do. Um, so when I got that job, I also started working with um, a bunch of the teams there, primi- primarily with football, but a bunch of the other teams uh, as well. Um, and like I said, I've been doing that for about six or seven years. And on top of that, I've been doing um, public speaking within the county and also in other counties as well about the subject that I just talked about, which is fundamental human movement. So getting that to be the basis um, of health and PE and the basis of strength and conditioning. Um, it has been an uphill battle, to say the least, in terms of um, getting those things uh as the basis, but um, it's still a fight that I'm uh, that uh, I want to fight because I think it's important. Um, and then probably after a couple, I think I was gone from SAPT for a couple years. Yeah, it was two years I was gone, or maybe a little under two years. And um, I came back part time, which was the best decision I ever made. Um, so currently, right now, I work at SAPT. Um, I work at Marshall High School full-time, and then within those, um, I've also been competing in powerlifting for about 10 years, going into my 11th year, and then I coach a powerlifting team at Marshall, and I coach a powerlifting team uh, at SAPT. Obviously, the Marshall kids are high school kids, and they re- so I have kids that have never done anything athletic in their life, that never touched the bar, all the way up to you know starting offensive linemen on the team, males, females, everything. And then at SABT, I think our youngest uh, powerlifter is like 27, 28, and our oldest powerlifter is uh, 72, 73, um, kind of everywhere in between, all levels. Um, so that's kind of in a, in a nutshell what I've been doing over the past uh, 10 or 11 years. So it's been a very weird uh, but great experience. Lots of twists and turns in there. Uh, a, lot of different, yeah, yeah. a lot of different things going on there. Um one of the things I want to kind of dive into a little bit more is, you know, you talk about, you know, the movement of your athletes, the movement of just people in general. Um, are you using like an assessment um, with your with your high school kids, with your people at SAPT? How are you assessing, you know, those, you know, how are you assessing all uh, that? So, I mean, honestly, I'm not, and again, this is not a knock against anyone who uses um, uh, like SMS or, or anything like that. I think assessment tools, Right um, can work or use in the right context. For me, um, it's just about watching how they move. Right. So, you know, nine times out of ten, I can watch uh, a kid play just a sport and be able to get a good gauge on how they're going to move in the weight room. And the reason why that's important is because the weight room is a is a controlled um, arena, whereas mm. you know the mat or the field or the court is uncontrolled. So. If they can't move properly in a controlled arena, they're gonna they can't move correctly in an uncontrolled arena, and that's where you get injuries. So for me, like when I get athletes in, um, if I just watch them gobble squat, uh, watch them do you know uh, a kettlebell RDL, um, so gobble squats, kettlebell RDLs, eccentric base pushups, um, chest supported rows, um, some type of like. Some type of overhead press, obviously not with, not with a bar with newer athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, bear crawls, um, usually a, a single arm or a double arm carry, um, sprinting. I'll watch all of those, like just variations, and I'll just give them a normal workout. Like it's not even like I'm, I'm giving, taking them actually through an, 
assessment. I'm just watching their normal workout, like with these baseline movements. And then from there, I can get a good idea of, you know, where they are, how long it's going to take them to get to where we need them to be, um, and kind of how likely they are to, to get injured. So, I mean, I've had tons, I mean, I have tons of kids that I've, uh, um, I've done, done this on and they can't even pinch, you know, they'll, they'll bend over to pick something up off the ground and their back is, you know, completely rounded. So for me, it's like, I don't really need a assessment to show that. Right. I can just have them do an kettlebell or do a sumo kettlebell deadlift and I'm going to be able to see those things. Um, but yeah, those, I mean, that is the, the, like I said, the basis of, of what I want to see from them mm-hmm. um, in terms of writing their program and um, how we're going to progress into to where they want to be athletically. But sometimes it's an uphill, I mean, I don't know, sometimes, a lot of times it's an uphill battle because people don't want to see that. Like parents don't want to see that. Higher level athletes don't want to see that. They want to see fancy stuff. They want to get on like, uh, like Vertimaxes and oh, what is what is the jump board? You know what I'm talking about? The jump board. Yeah, the, I know what uh, you're talking uh, about. Yeah. They want to, yeah, they want to get on Vertimaxes. They want to, you know, run with parachutes. They want to do uh, agility and speed ladders, even though agility and speed ladders don't even work on agility or speed. Like they want to see fancy stuff. So then for, for me as a coach, I have to be able to, um, kind of sell them on the basics. It's like, hey, you got robbed of the basics when you were younger. So that's what we need to do, and that's what you're going to get the most out of. I know it seems like baby stuff, but that's what you're going to get the most out of. Uh, I was, I, I posted it on my Instagram, I think yesterday, but Squat University, they posted a, a uh, um, something that said, uh, body weight corrective exercises can only take us so far. Eventually, we need to load the body uh, load is an incredible teacher. It gives us the ability to expose problems and technique and provides uh, guidance and where we need to get better. So, like, I mean, that kind of hit in a nutshell. Right. So, for me, I want to be able to have my the athletes that I work with and the people that I work with be able to express these fundamental human movements unloaded and loaded because those are the movements that make up collectively the athletic movements that transpire in everyday life in the, on the field, on the mat, on the court. So if they can do these basics right, and they can do these basics <clears throat> bilaterally, unilaterally, in different planes of movement, it's going to transfer over to their athletic movements. So everyone's looking for specificity. Well, that's that's the problem. Like, that's what you've done forever. That's what these athletes have done forever. They've just been specific. They've been robbed of the general um, these general movement qualities. So we have to work backwards in order to go forwards. And that's hard. That's a hard sell for. <clears throat> that's a hard sell for high school athletes. That's a hard sell for professional athletes, college athletes, the general public. Because people, a lot of times, people just want to get the crap kicked out of them. You know what I mean? They just want to feel like they worked out. And it's like, oh, it's yeah. all well and good, but we need to be able to do these basic things correctly before we can get you better. So, yeah, I know I, that was a very well I've, roundabout way of. I love it, man. Question. I mean, I have the same mindset of it. I mean, you said something really key in there that I think I hope people listen to is that, you know, we control the weight room, so we can control that movement inside of the weight room uh, because, like you said, the weight room complements uh, the field. The field doesn't always complement the weight room. Um, so we have to we have to prepare them for, for the field and everything. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, you know, you, you talked about, you know, the fanciness and stuff like that. You know, how are you selling these kids on, you know, doing a push-up correctly, um, you know, and then also working with your high school kids. Talk to me a little bit about that, you know, just from your time, you know, you said you've been in the high school ranks for, you know, all these years. What's what's something you're seeing in high school kids that's kind of helping them progress? Because um, like you said, too, as well, you know, some of these kids have no experience in lifting, you know, kind of empowering them, not only for their athletic career during that those four years, but, you know, the afterwards, and, you know, so, some of them might go to college, and, you know, they might play a sport, or, you know, they're still going to need fitness in their life, um, you know, later on too as well. So talk to me a little bit about that. Well, I mean, the best way to, to sell them um, and to get them on board is to give them results. Yeah. Um, so. Proof of the pudding. I mean, the, I'm sorry. What the, is that? The proof's in the pudding right there. The results. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a hard sell in, in and of itself because you have to, you know, they have to give you enough time to be able to show them those, those results. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I try and always get across to, I try not to treat anyone like a dumb. Um, 
whether it's again a kid or an adult or anything so i try and talk to them through like why we're doing what we're doing so uh, when i introduce the movements i'll talk to them why talk to them about why it's important to squat to depth um i'll talk to them about why it's important to not let their knees cave in um i'll talk to them about the importance of um in terms of uh relating to, in, to injury prevention so one of the things that i always show my classes and my athletes is um the i don't know if you're you remember Robert Griffin III? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. remember that infamous. Con- is it a combine picture? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I always show that combine, that combine photo, and I'm like, all right, look. So, th- so this is an extremely athletic person right here. Obviously, you know what I mean. And their and their numbers are insane in terms of the broad jump, uh, vertical jump, forty. But if you look at these, um, the problems within the quality of the movement, you're looking at a at someone who was told that simply because they were a good athlete, they didn't have to focus on quality. It was all about quantity. Right. Well, that ends up re- that ends up resulting in injuries. I mean, it just it just does. So yeah, I think he tore his. I think he had two ACL tears on one leg and then one ACL tear on the other. Um, I mean, that's that's not hard to see based on the quality of the movement. So that's what I try and sell them on. I'm like, you know, you, right now, if you just lift weights or train for the sake of training without looking at the quality, the ceiling for how good you're going to be is going to be very low. Mm-hmm. You're still going to make progress just like everyone does. And the, the analogy I always use is it's like a lighting system in a house. You know, you ever watch like HGTV or whatever, any of those shows and they buy those like fixer upper houses and like nine times out of 10, they get in there and the first thing that's wrong is the lighting system is the, is the electrical system. And they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe the house didn't burn down. Well, that's kind of like how poor movement is. It's like you can you can mitigate it for a long time until the house actually burns down. And the house burning <laughs> down is you tearing your ACL or herniating a disc. And that could have all been prevented if you just would have fixed the lighting system. Um, so that's what I try. And, and I show them these videos. I show them these pictures. Um, some people I don't have to sell hard at all. And some kids I do have to sell hard at all. All right, I'm sorry. Some kids I really do have to, to sell them hard on it. Um, but I try and come at it from that point. I'm like, just give me some time and we're going to fix the quality of the movement. You're going to feel better. You're not going to feel as beat up. You know, your joints aren't going to hurt. Your back's not going to hurt. Your performance is going to go up because you're going to know how to move better. You're going to become more athletic. Um, and then we can build off of that. So if you can squat, if I would wrap, and I try and tell all the kids, like if you can squat 225 perfectly by the end of the, by the end of the school year, I would rather that than you'd be able to squat 405 you know, super high with your knees caving in, which is what you see in high school football all the time. I mean, it's an absolute joke. And, these, you know, a lot of these kids don't get hurt later on in life. And that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is they're not getting hurt right away. If they got hurt right away, then everyone would see, like, okay, clearly what we're doing is not working. But they're not getting hurt right away. They're right. They're not getting hurt until later on, until they're adults. And they're like, oh, man, I used to be able to, you know, when I was in high school, I used to be able to do this, this, this. And they're too beat up when they're 40, 50 years old um, to end up exercising. And that's my, that's kind of my point with working with all of the spectrum of, of people that I have is I work with I, those same kids <clears throat> that have poor movement quality and load up, you know, 405 on their back and don't squat to depth and let their knees cave in. I work with those kids when they're 50, 60 years old, and I see the ramifications of doing that. And that's a problem. And most people, most strength coaches, most sport coaches, they don't see that. They have those kids for a very short amount of time. So they don't see the detriment of doing that over and over and over again and fast forwarding to the 50, 60 years old and they need, you know, a double knee replacement or they need, um, you know, a shoulder replacement or a spinal fusion or whatever it is. I see that every day based on the clients that I work with. So it's important for me to, to be able to um, kind of get that point across. And sometimes it's harder than the others. And like I said, I, I teach a, you know, it's a general elective uh, strength conditioning class. So it's not like everyone in my class is an athlete. Some, right. of, my, some of the kids in have never done anything ever at all. And some of the kids got put in that class because they have behavioral issues. Um, they're failing other classes. So even in the class itself, I get every spec. I get kids that really want to be there. I get kids that don't want to be there at all. And I get kids that uh, they're just unsure about whether they should should be there or not. Um, so I try and come at it from a point of view to all the kids. Like, hey, it doesn't matter what you've done in your past or what you think you've done. You're going to be able to get something 
thing right. so that they can they feel like they're getting better. Because they are getting better. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, that's you're not getting too fancy with things. You're selling the, the why behind everything. I think the why is, yeah. that, that's the biggest, um, that's your biggest ammo right there for everything, just explaining yeah. the why. Well, that's the problem is people, people either don't, it's a couple of things, either they don't want to take time to explain the why, they think that people who they're explaining to don't care or aren't smart enough to know, or they just don't know the why themselves. And that's what you see a lot of the times in high school strength conditioning yeah. or high school, you know, a lot of times sport coaches, they're just doing things for the sake of doing it because that's what they did. And that the hardest sell are sport coaches. It's not the kids. The sport coaches are the hardest sell because most of the sport coaches, sport coaches did something in high school, like in terms of playing a sport where they played in college. Right. And you know as well as I do, a lot of even the college strength coaches are not good. So it was just about beating the crap out of them in the weight room. So then you fast forward to those coaches or those players. Now their coaches, now they expect the same thing to happen to their players in the weight room. So then when you have someone like me being like, nah, that's not our job. We're not going to beat the crap out of them. We need to understand that these kids have a great deal of stress between school. Maybe they have a job, practice, sleep, social media, all these things. We're going to do the bare minimum necessary to make them better and also make sure they're on the field so they don't get hurt. That's a hard sell because in their minds, it's got to be, you know, you're, you're redlining these, these kids all the time. And that's a hard, hard thing to get unengrained, for lack of a better word, in these sport coaches' minds. Or they're used to doing, like, I hate speed ladders and agility ladders. I hate them. But a lot of sport coaches love them. Right. And trying to explain them why that's a waste of time is hard. You know what I mean? So that's that's the biggest sell are sport coaches um, and parents. Like at SAPT in the private sector, you're dealing with parents. Mm-hmm. Whereas Marshall, the high school kids, I'm dealing with sport coaches. At SAPT, you deal with parents. Um, so you you it's not really selling the athletes per se. I mean, it is to a certain extent, but it's mostly selling um, the parents, the coaches. Um, sometimes with the kids, you have to they like to read and watch things on YouTube because it's so readily available. So with the kids, a lot of times it's not selling them. It's trying to help them sift through things on the internet and things like that. But again, like I said, most of, most of the sell is for parents and coaches. Yeah. And, um, you said something that I really like too, as well as, you know, a lot of coaches don't understand their why behind things. They just kind of go through the motions with everything because, uh, they maybe saw it on Instagram last week or they read that and, Oh, we're going to do that now. And then they try it, and this is what I find to be interesting. And I'm sure you find this in, in some of the powerlifting stuff too as well. They'll do it for <clears throat> maybe one training cycle, and things maybe didn't progress the way they wanted to, and they just throw it away, and then they hop onto something else. Like, okay, this is the new hot fad. Let's do this now. Um, yeah. and, and that's what we're doing. And they never really see true progress in their athletes or themselves as well. No, and if their athletes do make progress, it's in spite of what they're doing. So then, so then it kind of, it's kind of a double-edged sword because it gives them, it gives the sport coaches ammo. Like, oh look, look what we did. We we got them better. It's like, no, you didn't. You, yeah. they got better in spite of you. They got better because, you know, they're going through puberty and testosterone is flowing through their veins, so they're going to get better no matter what. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? So yeah. it gives this false sense of like, oh, we're doing, we're doing this great thing. I remember, I remember listening to a high school strength coach. He was talking about how much better their running backs were because they started doing um, the TRX system. This was like seven years ago, or eight oh, years geez. ago. And I just, I just sat, I, I was, I was just overhearing the conversation, and I just thought to myself, "My God, man, it's just, it's just wrong. Like, just just wrong." It, it, again, it's not that TRX is bad. It's just if you're applying that for the reason why your running backs are stronger and, and quote unquote running through people, then you're you're. You you are very um, delusional about things. Yeah, exactly. You're um, you're delusional. <laughs> yeah, and that's the problem. You know, it's, with high school strength conditioning, it is very much an uphill battle. I mean, I'm in grad school right now, and one of the things that I continuously kind of harp on, <clears throat> um, and my professor actually commented, like, you know, maybe not harp on, maybe you need not harp on these things so much. Maybe you need to come up with a solution. But, you know, that's one of the things within the NSCA 
<clears throat> within the CSCS, which I think is such a problem, is it's such a focus on the exercise science portion and not enough focus on the actual coaching portion. Exactly. So, yep. you know what I mean? So then you get, from the high school standpoint, not only do you have unqualified people in that, but you have people who, they may be um, book smart in terms of exercise science, but they don't know how to apply it um, well, and then they also don't understand like really the art of coaching. So, just kind of a and then on top of that like I said you have a bunch of sport coaches who are who are trying to do strength and conditioning based off what they did you know 20 years ago so it's just the high school strength and conditioning just like college strength and conditioning to a certain extent but, but more so high school is just it's just a very mixed bag of good and bad mostly bad but you know that's one of the things that I'm trying I'm trying to help out as I get older yeah I mean you can read as many textbooks as you want but, um, you know, Matt Rhodes said it to me best. He's like, 10% of my job is the programming. It, you know, 90% of it, 80, 85% of it is the coaching side of it. It's the other stuff that, you, you know, we're talking about right now. And, like, you have to yeah, have a, Matt Rhodes. Yeah, you have to have a okay, coaching okay, eye. Yeah, you do. And Matt Rhodes does basically, from everything that I've, I've read and heard, he basically just does a, um, his own version of, of 531. Yep. So, you know... It's like the most basic thing that you can get, but he gets the results um, that he that he needs, and, and because most of that is based on coaching. If you gave just some random person uh, or random sport coach five three one and said, "Hey, just have the kids do this," it would be terrible, right? Because there's no there's no understanding of the nuance behind teaching the lifts, understanding the progressions, understanding training maxes, um, understanding starting too low rather than starting too high. You know, all of those little nuances. So, you know, you're, you're right in that 10, 10% of it is programming. Yeah, and that's all, That's all. you know, you want to do in the beginning is like, and I think that takes time, and I think that's, but again, I think that's a problem with what we get in the beginning of this industry is like, okay, you have to know all these sciences things. And I'm not saying that you don't need to know that. I mean, you need to know that. You need to have a foundation of how, yeah, the, yeah. how the body works and everything. But, like, you also need to, like, you, what you said, you have to be able to use your toolbox, and if you can't like show the tools in your toolbox, and like that's a pretty shitty toolbox in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, and it, I agree. You got you got to have a plan, and then two, I think of a good coach, and I think you know you can probably dive into this more. Is like you have to have like an A, B, and C plan for everything. It's never gonna be like like you talked about how you look how your athletes look like when they come into the weight room. I'm sure when your athletes come in and they're like, whatever your movement prep is, like if they're not. And I know Buddy Morris talks about this. If they're not chatty caddies, like probably need to change it up if you've got like a, a you know max effort movement that day or something like that. Yeah, and it's kind of a weird. That's that. So yes, that's definitely true. But it's kind of a weird thing with, especially with with high school kids. Yeah. Because whether they're athletes or not, there is an. And this is this very and this varies from from I I believe varies from from place to place in terms of, um, like, where you live. Like, I, I live in a very, a pretty wealthy area. I'm not. I don't, I can't even, I don't live in the county that I teach in, but the county that I teach in is, is pretty wealthy. So, mm-hmm. like, you listen, like, sometimes I'll listen to Jim Wendler talk about his kids um, in London and, you know, working with the, fo- the high school football players there. And I have a lot of those, same kids but then I also have the kids that they just don't want to put in the work and the reason being is because no one has ever made them put in the work people have failed them out a great a great deal in their life so when when it comes time to do the work they want to rely on natural ability rather than doing the work so for me as a high school strength coach in the area that I'm in it's hard because you have to be able to um between the kid who is legitimately tired and it's like okay we need to change something with programming because you're just you're just running to the ground yeah and the kid who doesn't want to train because you get it's almost sometimes it seems like it's 50 50 and i don't think that it is 50 50 in terms of those kids um but sometimes it feels that way just because of the amount of kids that that i work with i mean because i teach i teach five classes um and i average between 28, 32 kids per class. And then with football, I might have 
60 guys in there just with me. Yeah, and so one guy, to, you know, one pair of eyes. Yeah. So I have to be able to, to discern between, like, are you are you actually tired or is, are you just being lazy and you just don't want to do, do the work? Right. And a lot of that comes down to, you know, leaders on the team, even leaders in, um, <clears throat> in the classroom. And I would say classroom, I mean, you know, the weight room is obviously the classroom. Um, and that's one of the things that I'm, I'm slowly understanding because I'll have classes or teams that are markedly different. So I might have uh, like varsity football is great. And then JV is awful or vice versa. I might have JV who's great and varsity is awful in terms of like the collective team unit and the leadership on the team. So then I'm starting to learn even, you know, I've been going on 11 years doing this and I'm just now understanding this fact of, you know, leaders in the room matter. You, you know what I mean? Like the leaders on the team, the leaders in the classroom, they matter in terms of getting those kids to work and unlocking that potential from kid to kid. If you can get the leaders to do what they're supposed to, generally everyone else will, will follow suit. Um, yeah, so, kind of like yeah, that. Yeah, that's huge because like it's kind of like that top uh, or from top to bottom, you know, kind of mindset thing. Like if you can get these kids by the time they're like a junior or even sophomore, junior senior year to where like okay I can focus more on like the JV kids versus these kids because they like everything's good to go like the culture is set like the 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 work ethic is put in there to where all right I can kind of because you know you're only one guy and you know I know what that's like to have you know 60 plus people in a room and you're like crap I gotta keep eyes on everybody make sure everything looks as crisp as it possibly can I mean nothing's gonna be perfect so I love that yeah and then with my, what's funny is with my clients at SABT, you know, a lot of older clients that I, uh, that I work with, especially the ones who are on the powerlifting team, uh, that I created, I have to like pull them back. Cause wow. they're too, they're too, they're crazy <clears throat> for lack of a better word. Not in a, not a bad way. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Sometimes, I just sometimes pull them back. Like, uh, no, we, we can't do that tonight. Like you just, there's too much going on. You're traveling too much. You're not sleeping enough. You're too banged up. Like we gotta pull back. And they're like, no, 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 no. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I'm like, no, you can't. Like we're not doing that right now. We're not. It's not worth the risk benefit ratio is not there. Right. So you think it would be the other way around, where it'd be the kids that I would have to pull back. And some of them I do. There are definitely kids that I have to pull back because they just do too much. Like I have two kids on my powerlifting team, and they want to train like three or four times. I'm on powerlifting team at, at Marshall that want to train like three or four times a day. Like, no, you can't. You can't. You can't do that. Or if they do come in, I got to give them just very low level accessory work because they want to squat like five times in a day. Right. Like, no, you can't. We're going to do some, you know, working triceps, posterior delt, things like that. Um, but a lot of times with the kids, it's more trying to motivate them um, and get them to understand that, hey, most of the time you're not going to want to do this, but you still got to come in. You still got to do it. But then with my older clients at SABT, um, it's like pulling them back. So you think it would be the opposite, but it's really my older clients that are like the little kids. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I love I love that. Um, I'd rather have that problem because I'd, I'd rather have the problem of trying to pull people back than trying to push people um, and, and motivate them. Um, I like that my older clients <clears throat> have that type of energy. They just want to get better, uh, and they're all about it. Like I have one, one of my clients, um, she's – late forties and she just started competing in powerlifting in the past couple of years. Cause she was, you know, she would work out and train and stuff like that. But, um, I just told her one day, I'm like, Hey, you should join this team. Like you, you seem like you'd be good at it. And I think you get a lot out of it. And she's definitely taken to it. She's, she's all about it. And we had a meet coming up in April and I said, Hey, are you going to do this meet? And she was kind of, you know, a little hesitant about it. Uh, and I just thought she maybe didn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and she said, I'd rather just take time off and just get like really strong and really muscular. I'm like, I'm about it. Let's do that. <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm definitely okay with that. Um, so you get, again, based on all of the different people that I work with, you get so many types of people all across the spectrum. So you have to be able to step back and be objective about almost about each individual person or each individual class or each individual team and understand if you it's a product of you needing to push them forward or pull them back 
or get the leaders to become more of a leader or to get kids that maybe think they don't belong there or maybe they haven't played a sport to get them to become more of a leader and to get them more involved. It's kind of a, it's a weird mix on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, um, I think it's just having that effective communication is kind of what you're getting through there too as well. Like how, how can you like effectively communicate with like your, your older clientele and your, your, your high school kids? I mean, I think you're doing a good yeah. job with that from what I'm hearing. It's like you're really understanding <clears throat> maybe the personality you're working with. Um, you can't treat like the, the 49-year-old versus like the way you would of a, of a 15-year-old. And I think that sometimes gets, gets a little bit lost. Everybody, yeah. Everybody trains everybody well, the same. Most people have to deal with one, generally one one age group at a time. Right. You know what I mean. So it's it's just a weird, uh, a weird but good problem to have on a day to day basis for me because I'm like I said I'm kind of going from each each age group, each ability level, and, and things like that. Like on, like I said, on a powerlifting team at Marshall, I have a, I think we, so we're doing a meet in April and we have. 13, I think we have 13 kids and we have some who this is their, you know, maybe first year ever doing any type of exercise ever. And they just took to it and I asked them if they wanted to compete because I think it would be something they can do for the rest of their life. Um, and they're not athletic. They've never done, like I said, they've never touched the ball before. Um, they've been quote unquote academics and that's the hole that, that, that people have pushed them into. Um, so I'm trying to get them to become a well-rounded person. But then I also have, like I said, I have starting, you know, offensive and D line, offensive line and defensive linemen um, on the powerlifting team as well. So, um, like I said, it's just a, you know, trying to appeal to that many people and that many different personalities. Definitely, a, it's a challenge on a day to day basis. I love that, dude. Like you just said something that was really cool to me. Is that like, um, you're you're setting them up for something like past like, for the rest of their life that they can do. And you're not, like, necessarily forcing them. You're just like, hey, this is something I think you'd be good at. Like, maybe you want to give this a try and everything. Because I, I think that's a very important skill and something to have because there's going to be a lot that these kids are going to go through after they leave you in the high school rank and, like, for the rest of their life. And, like like you said, making them a, a well-rounded person because, you know, even when you get older, you're still going to need some sort of fitness within your lifestyle, like, teaching them, you know, just those basic, and then two, just not even that, but like, what do you get out of it when you compete? Like, you're going to have to compete for a job. You're going to have to have a job interview. Like, you're going to have deadlines. They're going to be needed to be done whenever you get a, a full-time job. I love that, man. That That's really good stuff right there. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, I'm tr- you know, one of my goals, with being a teacher, you see the, it's not intended, but like the polarization of these kids. So you get these kids to get put into, I hate using the term, put into a certain box. You know what I mean? So yeah. maybe, maybe this kid was not apt to being particularly uh, um, athletically gifted across a wide range of, of sports. And maybe their parents didn't play sports. So maybe they're just really, you know, academically focused. But, and I tell my kids this all the time, I'm like, that's fine, but you still need to know how to take care of yourself. Right. And then on the other side of things with my kids who are really athletic, um, you know, there's, they're definitely ones that are still academically inclined, but it's like, well, what are you going to do when you're done with sports? Or what are you going to do when you're so beat up from playing a specific sport that you got to learn how to exercise around these injuries? And that's where I talked about, you know, when I was kind of giving my intro, I think the problem with, with PE is, because PE is so sport because the whole point of PE is that you you introduce these kids to a wide range of activities so that they become active for the rest of their life. But if at the baseline level, you didn't teach them how to move well, and you didn't teach them how to, again, squat, push, pull, all these things, they're not going to be particularly good at these sports forever, or they're never going to participate in sports in general. And then more importantly, they're going to have no idea how to exercise. So that's why you see these people when you go into gold gold gym or lifetime fitness or whatever and they just have no idea what they're doing they will randomly go from (laughs) machine to machine or exercise to exercise they have no understanding of programming and they have no understanding of movement so i firmly believe that is from a that is from a 
core physical education program that we have across the U.S. Um, I think if you focused on that at a younger at a younger age and still continued that focus throughout high school PE, then they would be people would be better at sports. They would understand exercise better. They would be less likely to get hurt um, participating in sport or exercise, and they'd be healthier overall. I mean the like the numbers for um, you know people getting hurt and people suffering from um, preventable diseases across the U.S. is like staggering. I mean it's staggering. I mean like ACL tears are up like four hundred percent, and uh, I think kid, like kids under thirteen or twelve, um, I think it's like eighty percent of uh, adults experience back injury, which leads them to being out of work. I mean the amount of people that have uh, diabetes, the amount of older people that have um, osteoporosis or osteopenic, um, the amount of people that, uh, of older, older people that fall, um, cardiovascular disease, all of these things that are so preventable. And I think it's just because we're not doing a good job from, a, um, from a developmental standpoint of these kids who become future adults. Like as far as I'm concerned, if you're an adult and you don't know how to move well, and you don't know how to do a, a very, very, baseline form of exercise programming or you don't understand how to go on the internet and search for a good fitness program, then as far as I'm concerned, I think we failed we as PE as a PE um, as physical education across the US, I think we failed those people. Mm-hmm. So again, it doesn't matter if you're a non athlete or an athlete, if you get to be older and you're suffering from these things that I just said and it's because you were never taught how to move well or write programs or look at programs. And I think we fail. Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of like my number one thing for working with all the people that I do is just trying to get that point across to them. I love it, man. I mean, that's a great point, And that's something that a lot of people need to understand that it's a, it's not just a, a you know, six week kind of thing. It's a forever, you know, it's 20 years from down the road and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I want to dive in a little bit on the powerlifting side. Um, you know, as a fellow meathead, fellow powerlifter, I want, I want to learn learn a little bit about that too as well. Like, talk to me about you know you're you know coaching the high school powerlifting team. Um, talk to me a little bit about you know the crew that you have at SAPT, and a little bit maybe just about like you know your experience um, in the powerlifting you know realm of things. Okay. Um, yeah. Let me know if I ramble on too much. Oh, you're good. I love. Let's hear it, brother. I'm ready for it. Um, so, I got into powerlifting when I started interning at Mason. Um, I had always lifted. I mean, I've, been, I've lifted since I was in high school. Yeah. Whether it was serious or not, you know, you can always call that into into question. But when I got into definitely in college, towards the end of my senior year of high school, and then that summer um, is when I really started taking it seriously. Um, but I love bodybuilding. I think every teenage dude just loves bodybuilding. Like, you know, they watch Pumping Iron. Um, I remember when I was younger, I loved, when I was in high school, college, Ronnie Coleman, Branch Warren, uh, who else? Um, Tom Platts. Uh, I've heard Jay Cutler a lot. Yeah, I mean, that's just, like, yeah. everyone. Um, uh, Frank Columbo, I love because he was short. I just really wanted to be a bodybuilder. Body, body. I had no idea that powerlifting was even a thing, except for, you know, I would watch old videos of um, Kaz. So that's kind of the only reason, but I didn't really know. Like, I just thought you had to be, like, really strong to do it. Um, and then when I got into uh, Mason, uh, Handy and then Gabe, were, and Gabe was still an active powerlifter, and then Sarah, who, again, she's, you know, the owner of SAPT and then was strength coach at Mason, uh, she was a powerlifter as well. And I kind of knew that because when I, before I met them and I would work out at the, uh, the, um, field house, one of the first memories I ever have of Sarah is, and this is back when there was no raw lifting. It was just geared, it was just geared lifting. Um, Sarah had to get cut out of a bench shirt because the bench shirt was, it was too, too tight. Um, and I'm like, what is this? Like, what is this thing? And I still <laughs> had no idea. And, uh, I just thought it was just, you know, super gnarly and just said, no idea about it. And then, you know, kind of fast forward, when I started interning under Gabe, you know, Gabe didn't really care necessarily if I uh, was competing or not. He just cared that I trained. So he was, you know, like, okay, that I was doing bodybuilding and things like that. And then, 
you know, when I talk, started talking to more with Sarah, Sarah basically told me, you have to compete in something. You can't work here, whether it's at Mason or at um, SABT, and not compete. And uh, I didn't really understand why, so I asked why. And she said, you have to know what the athletes are going through on a daily basis. Yep. So these athletes are <clears throat> these athletes are going to school. They have jobs, you know, families. Uh, they have to practice, and they have to come to the weight room. Like, you have to know what they're going through on a daily basis. Daily basis, um, you have to be able to empathize, sympathize with them, and things like that. So I was like, okay, so I guess I'll compete in bodybuilding. And she's like, okay, sign up for a show. And uh, the more I thought about it, like I don't, I don't know if I want to do a bodybuilding show. And they were all powerlifting. So then I decided to start powerlifting with them, to kind of get into it with them. Um, and then I started competing as um, as well. So I've been competing. Like I said, for ten years, ten years now, going on eleven, um, and then I just saw it as a great outlet for pretty much everyone, whether they were athletes or non-athletes, because it just gives them. Generally, what I've seen is that people are more compliant with exercise if they have something they're training for, as opposed to just kind of just training or just uh, working out. Uh, so. When I left SABT and I started working at the first school I was at, I just kind of put together this makeshift powerlifting team. And just it wasn't through school or anything. I just asked these kids. I said, hey, there's this meet. Um, do you guys want to want to do it? And they signed up for it. They paid for it. Um, and it was great. It was awesome. I had like 10 or 11 kids, and it was awesome. Um, but I went to a different school the next year, and I couldn't – I had stuff going on, and so I couldn't get it done that year. But in the following year, when I got to Marshall, which is where I've been for, like I said, six or seven years, um, I got three kids to do it the first year. Wow. Um, and then it's kind of grown um, since then uh, over the years. And really what I do, I don't even, um, like, have an interest meeting or anything for it. I just kind of, the first few months of school, I just see kids that seem like they would generally be interested in it. I don't care if they'd be good or not. It really doesn't matter to me. Just I just see kids that just seem to be working really hard and seem to have a an interest in, in working out and have a good work ethic, so I just ask them. And some of them say yes, and some of them say no. And um, I pick a meet, and generally the meet's in April or May, um, and we train all year for it. But they train, those kids are in my class. So they tra- they just train in class. We don't train before school, after school, after school. They just do our normal, it's our normal program that everyone does. So it's not like they're really doing anything different. Uh, okay. Um, than everyone else in class because the way that I have the, our programming set up for the class, um, the only thing different is one of the days they wear a belt. Like that's it. That's the only thing really different. Um, because I actually I do test my kids um, once or twice a year. Um, so they just don't do the testing with those kids. Um, they just do their testing at the meet. Um, so like I said, I have. I have 12, I think I have 12 or 13 competing in April. I have two returners from last year. The other one's graduated. And then everyone else has, this will be their uh, first time uh, competing. Um, so that's kind of how the high school powerlifting works. Um, the only thing that, that sucks about it is that, you know, powerlifting has just changed so much since I first got in. Like I said, when I first got into powerlifting, raw lifting was a weird thing. Like no one did it. Right. Um, the first meet I did, I did it raw. The first two meets I did, I did raw, and I was one of the only people there that was raw. It was weird. It like you know, it just wasn't what it is now. So it's better in that fact um, with high schoolers because you know you don't have to you don't have to buy the gear, or bench shirts, or squat suits, or briefs, or anything like that. But with the popularization of powerlifting, it's just so expensive now. Yeah. So to try to try and convince a high school kid and their parents who have no idea what powerlifting is. Like, hey, we need you to pay a hundred dollars for a meet, and then we need to pay you need to pay thirty five bucks for a membership fee to the federation. It's a hard sell sometimes, but they, it's always worth it. Um, they always the kids always have a great great experience, and the reason why I love it is because they can see they get outside of their bubble. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they see all these competing, um, and then my SABT lifters they will compete with them sometimes. Oh, that's cool. Eat, they so they see the old, my older clients competing as well. So they see like, oh, like I can do this forever. So it's inspiring for them on that fact. And, you know, they always do really well. Um, I've never had a kid bomb out or anything, so they always do really well. 
Um, and then with SAPT, um, basically when I got back, when I got back there, I just started asking people if they wanted to do it. Um, I think one one of the guys had already done it because I had been talking to the previous coach. Or when I left, this coach has still stayed. So, you know, I told them, like, oh, you guys should compete, things like that. So when I got back there, I just started asking people if they wanted to compete. And that's just kind of grown over the past five years. Um, so I think two of them on the team, maybe two or three of them had an, have an athletic background. Most of them don't. Um, I have, um, like I said, I have one person who's like 27 or 28, um, but the rest of them are like 48, 49, all the way through their 50s, uh, 60s, and then early 70s. So my oldest lifter is, uh, like I said, 72, 73. Um, he has double knee replacements, so he's just an absolute savage. Um, but, you know, the thing I love about all those, all those people is that, <clears throat> you know, they all have full-time jobs. Um, a lot of them have kids or grown kids. Um, they work all day. They come in at six or seven and they just get after it. Um, so it's, it's good to see because I think people get jaded on the rest of the world. You know, I think people allow, allow themselves to believe that their, <clears throat> their lives are harder than they actually are. Yeah. So, oh yeah, yeah. That's true, man. That's very true. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you have, you have these people that, you know, that I coach that yeah. again, they have full-time jobs. They have government positions. They, uh, they're lawyers. They're, you know, they have, it's not, they're not slouches by any means. They, you know, they do very well for themselves and they have very high paced jobs and intense jobs and they have families and they deal with all that stress and they never make excuses. They come in, they train consistently, whether it's three days or four days a week. Um, and they never feel sorry for themselves. Um, I had one of, one of my clients, uh, I think I, in that article that I sent you, um, it has it in there, but <clears throat> she was, she came in late. She was like 10 minutes late. She was frantically tying her shoes. And, uh, but she was still there, you know, she was still ready to train and had a very hectic day. And so I looked at her, and I said, what do you, what do you think about all these people that you work with that say they're too busy to work out? And like, without missing a beat, she just looked up at me and said, Oh, they're all full of shit. <laughs> I love it. And it wasn't even like a thought in her head. It just like just it just came out. Um, oh man, but it was that's great cool. because it's like yes, that's true. Like we all have things going on in our life, and there are people who have it far worse than others. Like I totally get that. I totally get that. But at the same time, if you can't take care of yourself, then you're not going to be able to take care of the ones that you love. So yep. if you're constantly using your work or your kids or your family as an excuse as to why you can't take care of yourself. Well, guess what's going to happen? Eventually your health is going to decline and those same people that you were trying to take care of, yep. they're going to have to take care of you. And they're going to have to do it much earlier than was planned. And I don't want that burden on my family. And I think the people that I coach at SAPT, they understand that fact. So, like I said, I, I like doing the height, the powerlifting at um, the high school level and at SAPT because I think it, it bridges those gaps and it gives the kids and it gives the adults something keep them um on the path yeah yeah like, I get if that makes any sense. yeah so that's kind of yeah so that's kind of been my uh, my journey in, in powerlifting so um as we kind of wind things down here a little bit um what are some of your resources um maybe books i know you talked a little bit about dan john um you know you've mentioned elite fgs you got an article yourself up on there um, you know, what are some of the resources you use uh, just for educating um, and everything like that? Um, yeah, so I, I, you know, I think that's another funny thing with people. I think they get in these camps, especially with strength conditioning. Like, yeah. you know, from even from well, from powerlifting too. You have you have people who are like, you know, now it's like the cool thing to hate on conjugate stuff, which I think is so silly. But boo, uh, I, boo on those people, boo. I know. I mean, you know, like. Again, I think it's. I think people just have a. They have a hard time being objective, and I think it's just very easy for things to become polarized and for people to get on teams. And I don't. I like. I really don't like that mentality. That team mentality. That sucks, man. I hate it. Yeah, I think you can pull things. Um, there's always going to be good and bad, right? So the idea that think one thing is all good or all bad is just so short-sighted to me. So, you know, I love uh, obviously um, the Westside Book of Methods is. 
like one of my favorite books ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like I love uh, Starting Strength. Like I love that book. And those are two conflicting ideas. Yeah. Because you have one that is extremely specific and you have one that is very general. Yeah. But I love both of those books. Um, I love all the 531 books. Um, Easy Strength is probably one of my favorite all-encompassing strength conditioning books. Um, you know, I could be the I could be the typical person that says you know they love super training or uh, science and practice. And don't get me wrong, I've definitely like gone through those. But to say that I fully understand those is, would be a lie. Um, but that's... the only person I've ever met. The only person I've ever met or know of that understands those books to a high degree is my former mentor or my, you know, my mentor, Gabe Spensky, yeah. who's just absolutely brilliant. And then James Smith, like, like the only two people I, and maybe Louie, I don't know, but Louie, you know, you never know. Louie may understand, he may not, I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely like those books, but I like to listen to those people and read those articles, um, from people who understand those because they can dumb it down for me. Um, like, Tom, uh, you know, Tom Myslinski is, Yes, 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 yes. Jaguars. Uh, he wrote, yeah, yeah. So he wrote a, I think it was his graduate paper on the conjugate sequence system, uh, which is one of my favorite. You can find it. I, I think they have it as, as an article on Elite. But that's one of my favorite articles ever. I mean, it's really a research paper because it goes through the entire conjugate sequence system, which people tend to try and, or they tend to confuse with the conjugate system. But they're not really, they're not really the same. Right. Um, so yeah, so you know, what's that book of methods? Starting strength five three one. Tom Lezinski's, uh research paper, um, which I treat as a kind of like a book. Um, I mean, Elite is always I've I've read Elite since I first got into this. I mean, I used to read Teen, Teen Nation all the time, but I don't that much anymore. Um, I'm trying to think of other, I feel like I'm leaving. oh, one of my favorite books and probably the book that I use the most, kind of like as a te- as a textbook when I do. Um, presentations and I teach my classes on, on you know these fundamental human movements is uh, um, Becoming a Supple Leopard by Kelly Sturet yep. and that's one of those things people you know you have these camps on, on Kelly Sturet it's like Kelly Sturet is a brilliant brilliant person anyone whose main goal is to get people to, to move well and to extend their quality of life through um, loaded movements is someone who I'm going to listen to Yep. so yeah that book is great the second edition of that book is great um God, there's so, I feel like I'm just missing so many <laughs> things. I mean, I mean, even like the the YouTube has been, you know, when I first got into strength conditioning, YouTube really wasn't around or don't really pay attention to it. But that's been great because you can just listen to everything. Like I love Stan Efforting, like yeah. you know, from a nutrition standpoint, um, the things that he talks about make sense. So he has ton, you know, he has lectures from Iceland. All those are great. Um, you know all the Louis, all the Louis stuff, um, Dave stuff on Dave Tate stuff on on all the elite stuff on YouTube. Um, John Meadows, I love you know because I think you can take a lot of things from bodybuilding as well. Yeah, so I love listening to John Meadows. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, other other things. Podcasts have been great. Um, I love listening to podcasts because I, I like I said I don't live in the same county that I teach. Um, so I have long drives. Yeah. I listen to a really long podcast. So the table talks have been great. Um, there's been even bodybuilding podcasts that I listen to that I really like. Um, there's a, I'm trying to think of other one, other ones on there. I feel like I'm just drawing a blank. Now. <laughs> no yeah, worries, brother. Those are my, you know, those are my, yeah, I just, uh, that's what I'm constantly um, listening to those things, watching those things, reading those things. Since I've been in grad school, most of my reading has been in regards to, um, I'm getting my master's in athletic coaching or sport coaching from Mm -hmm. uh, West Virginia University. Um, So most of my reading has been, you know, the the things in regard to what I'm studying, which has been great too. Uh, You know, one of the things that I never really paid attention to, which I should have, in regards to the stuff that I teach about um, human movement and, and strength training and all those things, is the LTAD model the long-term athlete development uh-huh. model uh, that a lot of other countries use, the U.S. is starting to use. Um, the NSCA has, has great articles um, on LTAD, which I think strength coaches need to pay more attention. I don't care if you're a high school strength coach, college strength coach. I don't care. I think 
think people need to pay attention to things like LTAD because it'll give them an understanding of, you know, if you're working with a professional athlete that has been playing basketball their entire life and is mi- and is missing these fundamental movements, like, again, squatting, hinging, pushing, pulling, breathing, bracing, all these things, then, you know, you need to shift, you need to understand based on the LTAD stuff that they're missing a key part. So their programming needs to take a step backwards. Um, so, yeah, so like I said, I, you know, I, I try and read and, uh, and watch as many different things from as many different people as possible because um, I think it's important to get a uh, multiple different um, uh, opinions and outlooks on things so that you can form um, the best opinion possible and uh, try not to be short-sighted when you're delivering your coaching. Absolutely, man. Having that holistic approach of, of bringing people from bodybuilding, from powerlifting to strength and conditioning, it's awesome, man. Um, if, yeah. pe- if people want to reach out to you, uh, people want to, you know, talk with you. How can they get in touch with you? Um, yeah, so I'm trying to be more uh, active on, on my Instagram. That's pretty much the only uh, social media that I use. Um, so my Instagram is uh, CoachWood87. So Wood is just W-O-O-D. So CoachWood87 is on Instagram. Um, but if people can also, you know, through SAPT as well. Um, so our SAPT um, Instagram is uh, SAPT strength. Um, and then if anyone ever wants to, to email or anything like that, uh, my email is Ryan M as in Michael. So Ryan M wood 87 at gmail.com. Um, so if anyone wants to reach out, um, as far as strength and conditioning is concerned or SAPT or anything like that, um, they can definitely do so. Awesome. Uh, get in touch with them, guys. Uh, Ryan, man, thank you so much. A lot of good information here, man. I appreciate you coming on and, and doing the podcast today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Again, apologize if I ramble too much. Nah, you're good, brother. A lot of good content here. I think it's going to be a lot of things that coaches need to hear and people in this industry need to listen to. Um, so, you know, reach out to him, guys. Uh, he's a wonderful, wonderful guest. Um, really smart, uh, intellectual person. Uh, excited to, to re-listen to this and learn some more from him. Um, make sure you uh, rate, subscribe to the episode uh, and the podcast, and always stay strong.